Hi, I'm Pinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Before we get started with today's episode, just a gentle reminder that It's a Continent, the book, is available to pre-order. You'll find all the links and everything that you need on the episode show notes. For more information, just click on the link. Hello and welcome to the final episode of season four. We're here, we did it. We did it. It's the final <laughs> countdown. Nobody needed to hear that. No, yeah, no, no, no. Let's not, yeah. <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't, as, long, as soon as there's songs and music or some kind of tune in my head, it just has to be expressed. How are we? November. I was going to say like January, but no, let's not get into 2022 no, already. I don't even know what awaits us, but yeah it's um november it's cold yeah just trying to avoid obviously what's going around um <laughs> but yeah we're here it's we're all here. good it's all good we're here we're in algeria well we're gonna be in algeria <laughs> we will be yes yes obviously not not actually go there physically but yeah you know, you know how yeah. it is african pride so this week's african pride is linked to the cop 26 conference which i'm sure uh, has been all over the news recently. Look at you picking a topical one, COP26. Topical for a reason. Have you been to Glasgow before? I actually have for work purposes, yep, oh. yep. I feel like I've only been for work, but it was like the quickest thing ever. Got a flight yeah, up, a quick obviously flight. not a not good, obviously environmentally. Now I would have taken a, yeah, got a flight to Glasgow. <laughs> Literally went straight to a hotel was there for about two hours, flew back. This is really not great about for the environment, but I'd never do that again, obviously. I went to Edinburgh by train, so that sort of mm. appeased my consciousness slightly. Um, but yeah, no, Glasgow, I mean, yeah, Scotland's quite nice. I don't mind. I want to go back at some point. Glasgow has been the host of the COP26 conference where climate change is top of the agenda, or at least it should be. Let's not mention greenwashing or any of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> this week's African Pride is going to Vanessa Nakate, a Ugandan climate change activist. She grew up in Kampala and started her activism in December 2018 after being concerned about the unusual high temperatures in her country. She then began a solitary strike against inaction on the climate crisis in January 2019 and became the founder of the Youth for Future Africa and the African-based Rise Up movement. So Vanessa was recently on the front cover of Time magazine and also has a debut book, A Bigger Picture. She has been at COP26 with other leading activists and has found herself, willingly or unwillingly, the spokesperson on climate change for the African continent, which, as you know, if you're a black person in a space, it's like, yeah, you Feel represent... Feel free to represent absolutely everyone. <laughs> everyone. And make sure to communicate that back to your community. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> She has done an excellent job so far. Um, She's also been campaigning locally, writing to Uganda's president, Yari Museveni, to abandon plans of building a $15 billion oil project, which will risk oil spills and destroy natural habitats, home to elephants and many other bird species. So one thing to note as well, 
is that the African continent is responsible for less than 3% of global emissions, but it finds itself threatened by a global emergency. And according to the Financial Times, near unlivable areas, so basically humans can't really uh, live there due to the adverse uh, temperatures and weather, is set to extend beyond the Sahara Desert if emissions are not cut. Mm. So this makes uh, Vanessa's activism all the more pertinent because the continent is responsible for like very little emissions, but it's actually bearing the brunt of climate change, which again is, is, is a real mm. shame. And I think it just highlights just how important the work that she's doing and many other Af- um, African activists are doing within this space yeah. because actually we're only responsible for 3%, but everybody else, you know, out here, case in point, us taking flights to glasgow but uh this was pre having all of this awareness um is um yeah is really important and also i'm very surprised by you you mentioned museveni without mentioning that we did an episode on him i feel like (laughs) i feel like this is progress of you not doing not plugging plugging the podcast whilst doing the podcast Look at the progress. The, the maturity. <laughs> but no, seriously, do go back do go- to the 70s. Uh, part one and two. Right, as we said, we're in Algeria. Algeria is located in northern Africa. It's a naturally straight borders in the southern part of the country, border Mauritania, Mali, Niger and Chad. And to the east sits Libya and Tunisia and the west Morocco. You'll notice that we'll call out the borders and make sure to have a look on a map and see how slightly ridiculous they are. Mm -hmm. Um, This geographical travesty is mostly due to France. In 1830, France first invaded Algeria and they began governing the African nation in 1881. This was a slightly different arrangement to other French colonies such as Chad, Senegal or Côte d'Ivoire as Algeria became as much a part of France as any other district within the country. Algeria became the most prized of France's overseas conquests. In their eyes, governing Algeria was the same as governing Nice, Normandie or Lille. They go to the African continent, but the rest of West Africa is seen as a colony. But why did they feel comfortable to lay claims to Algeria and say it was part of France? A little bit of anti-blackness going on. But it's just a bit weird to see the slightly preferential treatment going yeah. on why what what about the what's the obsession what's up with the obsession with algeria yeah um and also another thing to raise is islamophobia Mm. so france actually has the highest proportions of muslims in western europe despite what brexit barry has to say about it um and because of this apologies to anyone called barry (laughs) so because of this you might have seen several headlines recently and it always kind of comes in and out doesn't it looking at france's treatment of muslims particularly policing women's right to wear a headscarf as france began taking over algeria's self-rule they began to exclude the country's largely muslim population through voter suppression colonial authorities knew that muslim communities mostly resided in mixed communes and ensured that no voting took place in these areas playing the next part of the colonizer handbook but confusingly, it's not a colony, according to France. Yeah. But what? <laughs> make your mind up. <laughs> you only treat it one way. You can't be doing both. Like, what is this? French settlers arrived in Algeria and their descendants were referred to as pieds noirs, black feet. In keeping with colonial fashion, it was these pieds noirs, particularly the men, who came to dominate Algerian society. It's really interesting that even, you know, what you're saying 
in France now, modern day, in terms of like Islamophobia, it's huge and it's something that we've seen here in the UK in terms of the, like the news from France. But mm. this was something actually that they were doing in the 1800s. Yeah. Early, that they had like established. It's nothing yeah, new to nothing them. Nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. History copy and paste. Yeah. Same old tricks. Mm-hmm. Like many other African countries, Algerian soldiers were involved in World War II leading to Algerians wanting to govern themselves and get their sovereignty. Pierre-Noir continued to gain wealth disproportionately, all whilst Algeria's Muslim population ended up with an unemployment level of 25%. So that's one in four people unemployed. Mm. I hope the maths is right there. Yeah, one in four, a quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, correct. Yeah, it's yeah, correct. Yeah. Gosh, we really do doubt, not Sometimes trust... I just doubt myself. I think every time we've ever mentioned numbers or tried to do any form of maths on this, We've always lacked confidence. We're like, sort of, but please do check this. Yeah. <laughs> please reach Just out. Like, using a calculator on your maths papers to check that nine plus nine did equal. Did equal, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've just to, even it. though you've t- yeah, even though you know for sure, but you're like, no, just in case it has changed. Just in case. Just in case it changed. One thing I just wanted to raise. I said it, black feet, but I even now when when it wasn't until you said it that I was like. It's, that was literally what they were re- referring to people as. Not even... Yeah, it's a bit weird. Feet. It's a bit wild, isn't it? Yeah. Is that... But it's even the fact that they're the settlers. They're not actually Africans themselves. Yeah. This is why it was very... You're saying that, you know, Algeria is part of France. It is France, essentially, an extension. But you're referring to those within your own community settling there as black feet. Like... Yeah, there's obviously some undercurrent... Of racism going on um, as well. This uh, unemployment understandably led to resentment towards French authorities, who had been amassing wealth during this time, which was a slap in the face to those Algerians who fought in the war. November the 1st, the day after Halloween, is known as All Saints Day in the Catholic calendar. Algerians who opposed French dominance chose this day in 1954 to attack the establishment. The day is known as Toussaint Rouge, meaning Bloody All Saints Day. In the early hours of the morning, the National Liberation Front, the FLN, timed bomb attacks on colonial symbols of power. This was the trigger for the Algeria War of Independence. And at the time, the French authorities refused to describe this as a war, calling it the events. You know, snowy London is an event. Mm. This, yeah. yeah. Rather confidently, the governor, Jacques Sostel, proclaimed that the destiny of Algeria is French. This sentiment is likely to have been because France recently lost Indochina, which is currently Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia, and didn't want to lose any more colonies. In fact, France was so desperate to retain Algeria that they took on Western African soldiers from the region known as French West Africa to fight against Algerian soldiers. It's thought that in total 25,000 African soldiers fought on behalf of the French. They were often left to do the dirty work, such as torturing those part of the FLN movement. The French also had relocation camps in Algeria, with prisoners either disappearing or executed. Considering that the horrors of World War II would have been fresh in people's memories, why did they have the audacity to carry this out? An Algerian-born critic of the French colonial government, Jules Roy, made the bold claim that le Nazis s'était nu. There's no indication that lessons had been learnt from the previous decade. Or maybe they just didn't apply to non-Europeans. Mm. Working age, people would have remembered the Holocaust and the various traumatic incidences that took place during World War II. But for them to kind of turn around and do a similar thing in Algeria? Yeah, is a bit... Yeah, and I guess maybe that's that point, isn't it? Just not seeing it 
not making or choosing just not to make that connection of we've just been through like Mm. why are we doing this again but it's that sense of protecting it you know like you said they've lost out on these other colonies it's how do we keep what we have and we saw this with obviously not to the same extent as Britain currently with the Chagos Islands but in that sense of like how do we protect what we have in these colonies as much as possible because at the end of the day it's benefiting us Mm. so maybe that's just yeah their understanding and their way of keeping that back over in france the government censored newspapers which made reference to the ongoing torture in algeria this action wasn't enough to avoid french reputation taking a dive however with even the u.s finding their activity had gone too far oh that's when you know oh wow you you, that's (laughs) That's when when you you know. know there are some countries when certain country tells you that what you're doing is audacious that's when you've got no you've gone too far and if it's the u.s telling you that then because some of the things they got involved in um yeah (laughs) pot and all that in 1958 charles de gaulle's government offered a ceasefire with the fln but the far-right french nationalist group the organization of the secret army the oas took issue to this culminating in de Gaulle's attempted assassination in 1961. The OAS viewed anyone French who supported Algeria's independence as traitors, and on March 18, 1962, the French government and provisional government of Algeria signed a treaty leading to the end of the war, allowing Algeria to become a separate state, which it did when it gained independence on July 5th, 1962, ending 132 years of French rule. That number. 132 years. Of just suppression. So how did France deal with the fallout? They didn't anticipate so many French settlers returning back to the country, nor did they expect large numbers of Harkis, Algerians and their families who fought for France to migrate to France. The word Haki translates to movement in the Arabic language. Presently, Harkis and their descendants feel that France mistreated them after the war. Around 200,000 fought against their own people on behalf of their colonizers, and tens of thousands were killed or tortured by Algerian nationalists after French withdrawal. Those who did make it to France were sequestered in camps away from the general population in poor, unsanitary conditions. Harkis were denied access to education, as well as other civil rights. It is believed that a few thousand Harkis are still alive today. In 2018, Emmanuel Macron, the first French president born after the 1954-1962 War of Independence, promised €40 million for the Harkis and their descendants via pensions and other aid after the country's highest court of appeal condemned France to pay 15,000 euros in compensation to the son of a Harki who grew up in these camps in appalling conditions. His predecessor, François Hollande, recognised France's culpability towards the Harkis in 2016. It's a tough situation for the Harkis because they're already sort of seen as traitors. Mm. But then, as we mentioned around the identity piece, they might have seen themselves as relating to because if technically it wasn't a colony it was part of france then they might have seen themselves as french yeah but for them to fight for the french and then come to france afterwards and then end up in a camp Mm. is this how you get repaid i'm sure they didn't feel french then Mm -hmm. it just shows that they just didn't belong when they went back to their sort of 
technically it's the same country. The same country. And I think that's whole, yeah. that whole concept of it being the same country and just an extension, it's just all smoke and mirrors because all yeah. the other big colonizers are doing the same thing. As soon as they that kind of tension around, you know, these countries are wanting independence. It's all of a sudden, you're just an extension. You guys can, you're technically British. Yeah. You're basically- Overseas Bre- territory. Yeah, overseas. Yeah, all of that <laughs> kind of thing. You know, you're an overseas territory. Of course you're welcome here. But really, where? Where's the, if you're putting yeah. me in these camps away from everybody else, how do I feel a part of the wider community? So it was all mm-hmm. very much smoke and mirrors to just be like, well, they are a part of us overseas territories the amount of times i read that in a journal and i'm like oh great (laughs) usual culprits large numbers of algerians continue to live in france and face racism and discrimination it's estimated that more than seven million people living in france have links to algeria either the descendants of pierre noirs or algerians who have settled in france for a variety of reasons france didn't begin to admit fault on the treatment of algerians until 1999 because the French refused to see Algeria as a separate country, they referred to the war as police action, as though it was just like police in Marseille or Lyon or wherever. The death toll was heavy, with the human cost of war unknown on the Algerian side, whilst French sources estimate this as between 300,000 and 500,000. Algerian sources have this closer to 1.5 million. The French didn't even see soldiers that fought for them as veterans, as it took 12 years after the fact for these soldiers to be recognised. It's really interesting that they were seeing it as police action, because I guess from their perspective, it's probably, well, we can't really say it's a war within our own country, right? That's just wild. Yeah, civil war. We, yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, we're <laughs> just having a civil war with a country that we told you was an overseas territory, which is basically also France. France versus France. <laughs> like, it was like, we can't, we can't do that, right? We've got to say it's... A riot somewhere over there in, the, in one of our places called Algeria. It's France. Yeah. Yeah. As though it excuses it. But it just goes to show the path to independence was, for some countries, a very... There was a lot of human loss yeah. in, in the process. And they're really hard fought, which is why Independence Days are remembered and celebrated and revered in, in these countries as well. Mm-hmm. And it's still important, like, as you were saying around the links, you know, the 7 million people who still have links to Algeria today. And that's just the importance of it. They were under France for, honestly, that 132 years is really sticking to my brain at the moment. But 132 Um, years, people still have that connection to it, and mm. which is independence. Yes, it happened in 1962, but those communities and people's identities, they they still exist today. And so it's still very real. Mm. And for them to still not, for them to experience discrimination, hello, yeah. that this is what happened this is and what... this is why it's so important to, to tell these stories. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, and particularly for like an English-speaking audience like ourselves, for example, this is not really recalled. Like a lot of French colonial history, I mean, if we thought that Britain didn't cover much of its colonial history, let alone France, if it's not an English-speaking nation, then it's really like, how would we know? Yeah, you know? no, definitely. The atrocities committed between 1954 to 1962 continue to strain relations between Algeria and France today. On September 28, 2021, Macron announced that France would halve the number of visas issued to Algerians, claiming this was because Algeria accepts so few of the citizens that France wants to send back to the country. According to the French Interior Ministry, just around 73,000 were issued to Algerians compared to just under 275,000 in the previous year. 
On October the 16th, 2021, Macron became the first French president to visit the scene of the murders of dozens of Algerian protesters by French police in 1961. Splitting commentary, with the left noticing that he didn't use the word state crime, and the right playing into typical culture wars, accusing him of anti-French victim propaganda. Which basically sounds like what goes on here in the UK. Mm -hmm. In an open letter to Macron, Haki organisations wrote how they wanted an official recognition of their treatment enshrined in law by the end of this year. That's 2021. In their words, we hope that you will be the one to end 60 years of a certain hypocrisy by which the abandoning of the Hakis is recognised in speeches, but not in the law, they said. Mm. They're also seeking for their approved payouts to be increased. It's interesting because I think the importance of having that recognition and words it might have happened decades ago hundreds of years ago but that recognition this community is still here you know that is someone's great great grand do you know what I mean you do still have a duty to recognize that your country did do this and actually admit Mm. to and and just show that recognition um Mm. is really important I think actually is a recognition of the part you played in their history. And I think sometimes with a lot of these Western countries, it's kind of being like, well, everyone's independent now. It's really their fault that they're not getting, yeah, hitting the ground running and stuff. They've been independent. But actually, you played a massive part in them getting to that. In the dismantling of their infrastructure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. No, definitely that that's true that's that's what it is that's what it was and now not to even provide that or recognize the huge role you were the reason why they found themselves and continue to struggle today um it's a bit of a slap in the face so yeah no it's good for them to kind of call them out in this way it's really important yeah there seems to just be more of this of these european countries I don't know if they're actually recognising it or not, because a lot of headlines you've seen, you know, for example, Jesus College, Cambridge, giving back a bit in bronze, all these sort of admissions, you've had skulls returned from Germany to Namibia. Mm. It's just a lot of these communities are actually asking for more than sort of symbolism. Yeah. And actually understanding what they've done, um, reparations where appropriate and protecting these people under under law which which should be the the done thing really and this is this is a bit of a side note but it's just making me think about this whole environment piece that you mentioned earlier with the african pride are we gosh maybe i'm in a dark i'm in i'm in a a dark headspace (laughs) uh, recording this today but i'm just thinking like with the environment and where we're at and kind of how with certain countries being such high polluters and stuff and then the impact that that's having in the continent are we going to get to a stage in a couple of decades where we're asking for payouts you've completely destroyed Mm. the western half of the continent like it's just yeah you know the i I was thinking that that like if you cannot recognize it from a history perspective will you ever recognize it especially just how hard it's even get get it is from an environmental side and actually getting these countries to to come together and agree in terms of their commitment to polluting less and that kind of thing is that what we're going to get to like i don't know that's just where my headspace was at yeah yeah no it's true because i was thinking oh you know what i was actually thinking a very similar thing because um you know when some you know the sort of eco-fascist argument around oh well they should have less children and yeah typically we have in african countries often there are larger families but actually per capita 
these people are not polluting as much as over here. Yeah. So you can't just blame the population for that. Just say, oh, well, they should have less children. Mm. It's like, well, Whilst no, you're out here polluting your for about 40 people. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And unfortunately, like, we've already seen the sort of economic cost to the continent through colonization. Mm. But what I'm really scared about for the continent is the environmental impact of certain certain countries um because there's really no arguing what the effects of that would be and it's just so unfortunate that it's the african countries that are polluted the least yeah and that is the bit that i find the that never even got a chance to be developed yeah that impact is going to be huge and really scary and i think we have to think about it around not just the impact on your own country but you are then having yeah. it's a global the effect. ripple effect yeah yeah on other countries yeah. and it can't just be like a well we're fine now but you're you're not it's it's everybody else who will end up suffering in countries which have only just gained independence and are still yeah you know you've done very little very yeah to contribute to this to yeah. this no to have to pay to pay for those is really um mm. it's just it's a bit it's just terrible it's just it's a actually, bit of a doubt yeah yeah, no, it's, it's really... yeah that's why it's just so important what people like Vanessa and Akate are doing but actually it's making me think I know we're closing up on season four gosh but it is actually making me think this whole kind of environmental topic and, and I know that's not something that we've really actually have ever done actually it does you know it could be a potential yeah. episode i'm gonna so if you're listening to this yeah. thinking of anyone that be like oh it'd be really good would be good to have on the show and to discuss with the two women on it's a continent please please message yes. us let us know let us know i think it's definitely an interesting topic that i think both of us would love to discuss with someone who is way more on it yeah. than i could ever be Particularly from the African continent. Definitely, yeah. Because I do think long term this will very much be play a massive impact in terms of just continent's ability to develop any further because it, it it's going to be huge. Because even just here yeah. in terms of floods and everything and what happened in yeah, um, Germany, Germany and everything, like it's, yeah. it is impacting countries here, but the continent, it's, yeah. Yeah, honestly, it's like people weren't scared about global women until the day after tomorrow came out, but it's a ripple effect everywhere, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, the poorest countries will be the hardest hit. Look at us ending on a highlight. It brings us to the end of season four. Um, we're actually yeah we're we're gonna be back with season five in the new year it sounds like a long time but it actually isn't you know so no no it's it it really is not it really is (laughs) not it really is not (laughs) it is not no this has been a this has been good i feel like we always learn so much anyway doing this but i feel like this season has been a lot of yeah a lot of a lot of growth (laughs) um but yeah, just let us know if there's any topics that um, you'd like for us to cover. We're going to put stuff like feelers out on our social media. So make sure you're following us so you can interact and let us know what we should do next. You can find us on Twitter at It's a Continent and Instagram at It's a Continent Pod. Thank you for listening, everyone. And we will catch you in the new year. Bye. Thanks for listening. 2022. Bye. Bye. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs>